Well, good morning. My name is Billy Gifford. If you're new here, you don't know me. I'm the executive pastor on staff. Um, wow, okay, it does feel like a banquet. I mean, it felt like a banquet down there, but up here, I, I do feel like I should, like, I'm receiving a reward, uh, a award, and I like, just want to thank my mom. Uh, she is watching, I think, so thanks, mom. But hey, it feels different, but I, I want to assure you it is normal in the sense of why do we do church? What do we hope to receive when we come to church? It, it's all there. In Acts 2.42, I'm sure many of you have heard this or maybe thought about this. It says, you know, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And all of those things we're doing right here, right now, although it looks different, uh, we're here to devote ourselves to teaching. We're going to talk about it. Um, but the goal isn't that we pull off a life group every Sunday. Okay, that's not the goal. The goal is that we grow simply in fellowship, that we would grow in engaging with one another and engaging with God. As we listen to the word of God and as we talk about the word of God together, like Kevin just mentioned it, but the, the series title for this summer is together. We want to do things together. We want to be refreshed in hope and stirred in faith together. And that's actually how we do that. We have to be together for that. And so one of the hallmarks of, uh, of a, the new covenant is actually what I call the prophethood of all believers. In Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God falls on, on the church, um, it says this, Peter's, you know, they start doing all these things, and, and Peter says this in Acts 2, 17, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. In other words, in the Old Testament, it was a one-man show. You had the prophet Samuel, you had Elijah, you had David, you had all these names, it was a one-man show. But in the New Covenant, it's everyone. The prophethood of all believers. All can prophesy. All can hear from God and deliver a word and share what God has given. We can all do that. And so we can begin to experience God moving at a greater level because then it's not just one or two people that God has, has a hold of, but it's the entire church. Can you imagine? It's all of us working together. In 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about uh, church order, kind of, and it specifically is, is refers to, it's referring to giving words in the church. And it says in verse 26, it says in verse 26 that when you assemble, everyone has something to give. I'll read it to you. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, which is what we're doing, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. So right there, if you just slow down and think about that verse, when we gather, the Bible says we all have something to give, every one of us. But then the next line says, but let all things done, be done for edification. Let all things be done for edification. So we gather, we're sharing what we've been given for the purpose of edifying one another, for, for building one another up. And then a few verses later, it says, for you all can prophesy one by one, one by one, so that all may learn and be exhorted. And to prophesy in this context, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says in verse 3, is simply to encourage, to edify, or, uh, or to comfort. And we can all do that this morning. And in fact, we're all going to do that this morning. So thanks for joining us. <laughs> so we're going to go through the, the, the letter of Hebrews. And when I say go through, I don't actually mean like verse by verse or chapter by chapter. But we're going to go through directly, or not, not directly, we're going to go through some of the specific exhortations that are found in the book of Hebrews. And so I feel like it's appropriate to give a little bit of the background of Hebrews, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about what I mean here in just a second. But 
Um, so Hebrews is a book of exhortation. That's what the book is about. If you, go, if you read through it, it's, it can be pretty confusing. But to summarize, what is this book about? Uh, the author, the unknown author, by the way, uh, sums it up in Hebrews 13, verse 22. And he says this, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. So a couple things there. Briefly, uh, apparently it's a brief letter, but it says, I've written this letter to you as an exhortation. That's all it is. I'm here to exhort you. And it was written to the Jewish Christians in Rome at the time. It, it, you know, when the title of the book is Hebrews. It's the letter to the Hebrews. That's the title of the book. It's written to the Jewish Christians in Rome. And why it was written was because at this time, the community of believers was uh, discouraged because of they were suffering under persecution. They were, they were just suffering under persecution under Emperor Nero at the time. And Emperor Nero, I mean, just like anyone does, they, they start off in power doing good things. You know, he was building roads, creating better society, and then he grasps power and starts persecuting the church. And so the, 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 it was written to the Jewish Christians at the time because um, specifically Christianity was illegal, but Judaism was not. And so there were registered synagogues that you could go to as a Jew and you wouldn't be persecuted. But if you were found going to one of these little house churches with, with Christians, whatever that was at the time, you would be persecuted. And so for the Jewish Christians, they had a way of escape from the trouble and from the suffering. All they had to do was go back to the synagogue. In fact, if you read Hebrews, that's actually why there's so many references to the Old Testament and so many references to the, the Jewish culture and the Jewish God. They could just escape suffering by returning to their old life, returning to the synagogue. However, the only way to do that was to publicly deny Jesus Christ. And that cost was too high. And so this letter comes as an encouragement to not give up. The temptation for these believers was to abandon the faith, to abandon the church, and to give up. And so throughout the letter, we find all these exhortations that essentially just, just keep saying, hey, stand firm. Don't give up. Don't lift up that anchor of hope. Don't drift away. Don't, like, don't give up. Keep going. Keep going is the, the exhortation. And it's an appeal. The letter is an appeal as a brother. It is not a rebuke as a father. You know, Paul says to the Corinthian church uh, once, he says, I became your father in Christ. And he proceeds to rebuke them like crazy, right? But in this letter, it's, it's simply an appeal as a brother. That's why we're going to go through the statements. They're called let us statements. The author says, let us keep going. Let us do this. Let us do that. Because he's, he's saying, I'm in there with you. I'm putting myself on equal footing. I'm not rebuking you. I'm saying, hey, we're all in this together. So let's keep running this race. Let's keep encouraging one another. Let us do this. We need each other. You're not alone. I'm in this with you. Let's hold fast together. The emphasis really is on being together. It's not, you guys really need to change this, and he's afar. He's like, no, I'm in this with you. Let's all keep going together. Again, the title of this series is Together, because we want to emphasize, man, we have to be together. That's why we got the round tables, too. And so when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we look around the tables even, um, we can receive encouragement. Because, hey, we're in this together. You actually get to look in the eyes of someone you're actually running this race with and say, hey, let's go. Let's do this. Let's not give up. Let's press on. And if I encourage one person, they receive some strength. 
And there's compounded strength when we come together. What I mean is like, if I encourage someone, they, they receive strength. They can, in that strength, encourage me. I receive some strength. And then we can both then encourage others. And, and you can see how the strength of the, the body begins to build up. Do you see that? I mean, think of the body. Think of your actual body. You have, your index finger alone is not that strong. But you give it four other fingers and a palm, it can hold on to something pretty tightly, right? Or, or think of a brick. A brick by itself is not that useful. <laughs> Unless you're like throwing it at somebody. But, <laughs> but you cement that brick into a wall within a house, the compounded strength of all those bricks connected together, man, there's strength there. You're not breaking through that wall. And so I'm standing here today um, not as your pastor. I, I, I'm not right now. Uh, I'm standing here as your brother in Christ. And my goal is to encourage us, myself included, to run this race together. And so in the, in the coming weeks, we will have other brothers and sisters in Christ up here encouraging us. That, that is the goal. But more than that, you are called to do the same. Again, that's why we're at the round tables. You're called to encourage one another. So don't just listen to me. Don't just listen to whoever's on stage, but listen to each other. Talk amongst yourself. Encourage one another. That we strengthen one another is the goal. Okay, so in the following Sundays, we're going to go deeper into these let us statements. There's about 13 of them, so it kind of works perfectly throughout the summer, the weeks. But again, the goal is that we engage with God and engage with one another. We're going to engage with God through listening to the word, and we're going to engage with one another through talking about it and discussing it and then actually encouraging and praying and prophesying over one another. When you think of engagement, I want you to think an exchange of giving. Tyler kind of talked about this last Sunday, but it's an exchange. You know, consumerism is I'm just receiving. I'm not giving. I'm just this is all about I'm receiving. But an engagement is an exchange of giving. God gave his son. Therefore, I'm going to give my life to follow him. I'm going to give my praise. I'm going to give everything I have to offer. And it's, it's an exchange of giving. In fact, Paul says this, actually Jesus says this, Paul's quoting Jesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He says, in all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now in this context, Paul's actually talking about his life. Like in the next few verses, they're praying over him and weeping over him because they know they're not going to see him again. He's about to go to Rome and he knows he's not going to continue his life after that. So he's like, I'm ready to give my life. It's more blessed that I give my life than I receive life, right? Remember the words of Jesus? If you seek to save your life, you lose it. But if you seek to lose it, you find it. So the question is simply, do we believe that it actually is truly better to give than to receive? And if so, praise God, we have the opportunity to do that. Because we can give to one another right here, right now. Because we all can prophesy. And this is part of the, the movement. The, the keep moving. You know, the, the, it's like a river. It's not a stagnant thing of water where I'm just receiving. But I'm like, whatever I'm receiving, I'm also giving away. Okay, so the, the first one, the Hebrews let us statement that I'm going to try to focus in on. That was a little vision for the, the little mini message. Uh, is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Verse 24 and 25. Again, we won't spend too much, too, too much time on this because we need to talk amongst one another. But it says this, and let us 
consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider how we we can spur one another on. So we're going to break this down very, very simply. The context of this encourage, I hope you can see it, is not like anywhere near flattery. It's not like, oh, I love your shoes. Like, that's not what it's about. But it's the encouragement of obedience. It's the encouragement of perseverance. It's the, hey, you can do this. I do believe in you. God's with you. It's, It's the encouragement to keep going. And one of the ways that Jesus encouraged people to keep going, that something that helped spur them on towards love and good deeds was very, very practically verbally encouraging them, verbally affirming them. I know it's mind blowing, but it's like, oh, all I did was actually, I I literally affirmed someone and that gave them fuel to keep going. For example, in Matthew chapter eight, we read of a Roman centurion who was humble and full of faith. And he came to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, I have a sick servant in my house and I really would like for you to heal him. And Jesus says to him, sounds good. I'll come to your house and I'll heal him. But the centurion said, actually, no, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. There's this humility. But then he says, but just say the word and he'll be healed. There's his faith. And Jesus's response is to verbally appreciate and affirm him. He says in in Matthew 8, verse 10, I have not found such great faith in anyone in Israel. Right? Like, I, I imagine his disciples are there. They're like, dude. We're like, we laid everything down to follow you, man. What do you you mean? But, I mean, think about that. He didn't hesitate to praise a military captain who was unconverted, who was an idol worshiper, who didn't know anything about the Bible or the true God. But he picked something up in Jesus. And Jesus affirmed that. Now, Jesus was really good at calling out sin, right? There was no, like, obviously he, he had no issue saying that's a sin and that's bad. But he also was able to see, see what's good and call that out and affirm. And I think, I imagine that there's no way in the world that that Roman centurion ever forgot those words of Jesus. You think he would forget that? Not a chance. And in fact, my bet is that he became a disciple of Jesus one day because of that. There's more. He praised Nathaniel in the early, in, in early book of John, John chapter 1. By saying, here's a man in whom there's no deceit. He just affirms him. Meaning he's not a hypocrite. He's not perfect, but he's not a hypocrite. He praised a repentant woman for her love in Luke chapter 7. He praised Mary of Bethany for her devotion in Luke chapter 10. Paul would even follow his example. I mentioned this earlier, but in, in Corinthians, he, he writes this letter to them. It's one of the most carnal churches in this times. But he finds something to praise about them. He still finds good. I mean, let me just see if I can. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you know, he says, I thank my God concerning you, that in everything you were enriched in him, in speech and in knowledge. I mean, he goes and starts to just encourage them. And then in verse 10, he starts to rebuke them, right? But it didn't matter. He was able to see the good and affirm that. And, and, and I imagine that those hearing his words, reading this letter would say, okay, he, he's for us. He loves us. So actually that rebuke, let me receive that. And that will spur me on towards love and good deeds. And so we have to learn to appreciate people, even though we know they're not perfect, 
even though we can see their flaws as clear as day, that doesn't matter. We have to learn how to appreciate people because in doing so, we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I also imagine that Roman centurion would, I, I imagine he would seek to do good after that encounter with Jesus. I imagine he would seek to love others well after that encounter with Jesus. So it says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. And this is simply because it's when we meet together that we can actually encourage one another. If we don't meet together, it's hard to do that. I know this is, this is also revelatory, but uh, you can't really exchange uh, giving. You can't encourage someone if there's no one there to encourage. And you can't receive encouragement if, you know, if, if there's no one to encourage you. And so don't forsake meeting together. Don't think that's just, that's okay, I listen to a good message. My church is, I listen to a good message online. That's, that'll build you up some, but, it, but that is not the way the church is described in the, in the, in the Bible. It says, we got to meet together. We got to look at each other's eyes and say, I see this in you and I believe in you. So let's keep going. And then it says, encouraging one another all the more as the day approaches. So now we have a motivation given. Encourage another, one another. Why? Because the finish line is right there. It's right there. The day is approaching. The end is in sight. In Hebrews chapter three, a little earlier in Hebrews um, we get this warning in verse 12 that if we have an unbelieving heart, we could fall away from the living God with an unbelieving heart. But in the next verse, in verse 13, uh, there's a solution to that. And it says this, encourage one another. There it is again. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. We don't know what tomorrow holds. I mean, you know, hearing from Acts of Mercy, I'm sure many of those people in Ukraine had no clue what tomorrow is going to hold. It's a little more real. For us, we think we can anticipate it. We don't, we don't really know. But we do have today. We have right now, and we have the people around us. So why not? Let's, let's make a choice to encourage one another. And in this context of this chapter, it's the encouragement to consider Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 3, it starts off that chapter by saying, consider Jesus. Look at Jesus, the great high priest, the apostle of faith. And so... We're called to do just that. To, that. Our encouragement should be, hey, let's look at Jesus together. Let's consider Jesus. I know you're going through this situation. Let's bring Jesus into that. Let's consider how that works. Our lives should be, look at Jesus. He's set me free. He's redeemed me from the pit. He's, he's rescued my soul. I'm no longer depressed. I've, I can rejoice always. He's removed the fear of death from me. Consider Jesus. That is the type of encouragement that will spur us on. But it also says that it only takes 24 hours for us to become a backslider. It says as long as it's called today, we need to encourage one another. Because in 24 hours, we can fall away. And we do have a responsibility for one another. We are the body of Christ. You know, in, in Genesis, when Cain killed Abel, God comes to him and says, where's, where's your brother Abel? And Cain says, I'm not my brother's keeper. You know, it's like, no, that's me. That is not so with us right now. We are one body. If my leg is hurt, my whole body works together to prop that leg up. It's not like, well, I'm the arm. That's the leg. Good luck. Yeah. We are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. If we see someone uh, falling, let's lift them up. If we see someone struggling, let's get beside them. Let's lift them up. Let's encourage them. We are the body of Christ. 
We have to be together. There it is again. We do this together. And why? Because the day is approaching. We, I, in this day and age, in this culture, it's hard to think of eternity as like right here in front of us. But it's right there. Imagine a race. You're running this race and you're exhausted. You've been going for a long time, but then you finally see the finish line. That gives you the motivation to keep going. Maybe you're cramping. Maybe you can't, you can hardly breathe, but you're like, oh, but there's the finish line. I can keep going. But let's say you have a, a brother next to you who doesn't see that. What should you do? It's like, hey, it's right there. We're so close. Yes. Keep going. The day is approaching. Let me encourage you. Let me, let me actually carry you a little bit if I have to, but we're not stopping because the day is approaching. That final day is coming. It's right in front of us. So don't give up. So we need to be together to run this race. We need to be together to encourage one another. And we need to value each member of the body, knowing that they do have something to give that will strengthen me. So... The encouragement from Hebrews is let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Because that final day, the day when Christ returns, is right around the corner. It's, it's like right there. So let's hang on together. Amen? Okay, well, I'm going to pray, and then the ball's in your court. I'll give some instructions here in a second. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have given us a people, a body, and that we're not called to do this thing alone. God, we love you. We thank you for that. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just come and continue to minister amongst us. Yeah, this is your church. It's your doing. And we just pray that you would be revealed in Jesus' name. Amen.